This is Box to Box Stoppage Time with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Derek Dyson and Michael Edgley for our podcast spun-off from the major where we go through all the highlights of the past week or our highlights, I should say, of our teams, our moments, the things that just caught our eye over the course of the week as we wander through the world of football. And uh, Derek, uh, as always, mate, we've got a, a bunch of uh, different topics sort of wide-ranging across women's and men's football, uh, the politics of the game. Um, where are you going to start us off, mate? Unfortunately, the Spurs supporting element of our listenership, there probably isn't any, given the way that Michael and I talk uh, rabbit on about Arsenal, but uh, they're not going to be happy because I've gone for the Bournemouth-Spurs game. Now, this isn't a clever deflection from the Arsenal-West Ham game, which is well, itself was quite entertaining, but um, Scott Scott uh, Venkir, our great fan of the show, uh, head of the Melbourne Chamber of Commerce and Spurs fan will be unhappy that I've picked this game, that's for sure, because it was Spurs 2, Bournemouth 3. We gave uh, Son Heung-Min a big up in the last game, and to my defence, I was very pro, uh, very complimentary about him last week. Uh, he got the uh, the Spurs team underway, but uh, on came v- Matthias Vinner, who uh, equalised for Bournemouth. Dominic Solanke uh, put them 2-1 up, um, Arnott Juma then got a goal back for Tottenham uh, against his former club in the 88th minute, only for um, Richarlison to miss a header in stoppage time and Bournemouth to go up the other end and Uatara uh, scoring uh, the winner and those Bournemouth fans behind the goal going absolutely delirious. And we were talking last week uh, uh, about the relegation scrap uh, Rob and I think we were kind of borne out we were picking up Gary O'Neill and the great job he's done yeah. at Bournemouth and yep. vindicated here by this victory uh, Can I ask you the Spurs. question I mean, about vindication mm. does this vindic- vindicate um, Conte um, and uh, him calling out the players um, if, if they can't even turn up at home and beat a, a side in a rele- relegation battle like uh, Bournemouth? Obviously they've left the sort of the caretaker in charge and uh, uh, I mean, Arsenal have discovered over the weekend that you can't just, you know, look at league table and think it's guaranteed three points because these teams are scrapping for their lives at the moment, um, you know, and Bournemouth amongst them. Spurs fans, though, were very unimpressed by this chance of uh, we want Levy out. There was uh, booing of uh, the, defend- the defender, Davidson Sanchez, uh, which didn't look good either. Um, so, yeah, it was a um, a terrible result for Spurs. It means that they've lost control of that fourth place now. They're mm. down in fifth and uh, sliding away from Champions League football. And for Bournemouth, this was just another key plank in their road to safety. And as we said, to, uh, we're talking with Rob Tanner on the main show, Rob. I think he was pretty much saying Bournemouth were safe. So, mm-hmm. um, great, great stuff. And well done, Gary O'Neill. That was a terrific result and a great game. Well, it was entertaining to watch. Yeah, it sure was. Hey, Ed, you and I, uh, we talked about um, uh, the, um, the the Melbourne derby uh, um, in the Women's A-League that we um, we went out to on the weekend at Parkville. Um, you know, uh, in, in all of your time watching women's football, I mean, let's just forget the venue and just assume it could have been played anywhere. Insofar as a competitive, entertaining 
high octane match, thrill a minute, right down to the wire. Have you seen many better games than that? The Melbourne derbies are always a very entertaining game, as far in the other league women's the the Sydney derbies too. But Melbourne City and Melbourne Victory have been at the top of a league women's football over the last four or five years. So I've seen some pretty epic contests. I've seen some incredible games, um, high emotion. But that one was a that was a special one, wasn't it? Um, the, the first half in particular was. Um, um, no, don't steal my thunder. Okay, this is okay. my game of the week, remember? So, no, no, but was, well, you, you've been around the game a lot longer than I have. But I've been I've been covering football for probably twenty odd years, and uh, um, and you know I've gradually increased my my diet of the women's game over that time. I think my first Matildas match was at the Sydney Olympics, uh, uh, where uh, I watched them play at the old Sydney Football Stadium against Honduras. And as I said, uh, you know I, I haven't seen. I, I know I've watched a, a lot at live. And, uh, and on television. But for me, that that was the pinnacle thriller minute uh, match. Uh, I mean, as Sam Lewis wrote in her article on the ABC, it, it had everything you would want from an elimination semi-final, except a crowd worthy of the spectacle at Casey Fields. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with the geography of Melbourne, it's a 45-minute drive out of town um, and at best a glorified training facility. So, um, so you know, we really have to suspend our disbelief when we're talking about the, the quality of the venue and just focus on the game itself, which I think was a game for the ages. I mean, victory came back from an early 1-0 deficit. Rihanna Policina opened the scoring for City five minutes from the break. But an edge, you know, you um, you were entitled to have uh, your own declared bias aside, you were Molina Reyes manager, but there's no way in the world you needed to be biased at all to, to give her the credit that she deserves after... A, a second half hat trick in a space of 19 minutes. She just flipped the script. It was a player dragging her team uh, towards an outcome. Um, and it looked like she'd done that. The clock was draining. Um, they looked a step away from the preliminary final. And we were talking about, you know, that dangerous two goal margin in football with about 11 minutes to go. Upstepped Polisena again. Uh, she cut the margin to one, and with three to go, uh, the uh, the kitchen sink was literally being thrown at uh, at Victory's uh, uh, goal. But um, Holly McNamara, she was uh, uh, the lady of, or meant to be the lady of the hour. She got a penalty uh, to to equalise, but Casey Dumont stepped up. And uh, look, in all fairness, it was a pretty ordinary penalty. With seven minutes to go, though, ten seconds left on the clock, Hannah Wilkinson buried the equaliser and sent it to extra time. It was like a helter skelter thirty uh, minutes of extra time. And then, as we've discussed in the main show this week, the penalty shootout, Dumont stepped up to score Victory's first spot kick, then saved Katie Bowen's first and uh, and set up. I won't go through the penalty shot by shot, but it was just a, a great finish. So, so Casey Dumont, Molina Reyes, and credit to Melbourne City who who were amazing, and uh, and your old mate Melissa Barbieri in goals at the other end, a couple of veteran goalkeepers. So it, it was a ripping game of the week. So if you're listening to this show and uh, and you haven't made the effort uh, to to watch a lot of women's football, then I'd encourage you. I'm sure most of our listeners have got Paramount Plus. Just even if you just get on and watch the mini match to get a context of what it was all about, I, I think it will convince you that you. Know, need to be watching more of the women's game. Certainly does. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, anybody who hasn't been watching the A-League women's uh, taking a little bit in their football diets, uh, doing themselves a disservice, it was fantastic. Melina Rez, 12 goals in 12 games, Rob. I know. I, I mean, I, what, what's Gary? Has Tony Gustafsson um, got a little notepad of some players that he might be sort of calling in off the bench, um, you know, as uh, last-minute well, inclusions? It's not lost on me, Rob. It's not lost on me that... Um, Jason Cummings from Central Coast only played uh, one game for the Socceroos 
before he got called in. So yeah. uh, I'm just sort of, uh, I think it's, albeit unlikely, I'm, I'm still extremely hopeful that Molina might just sneak in at the last moment because her form mm-hmm. is very good. Well, we know she can find the back form, of the net. Form striker of the A-League women's comp at the moment. Yep, absolutely. She is. All right. What was your game of the week, mate? My game of the week, I'm going to go to the championship. We love the championship. Um, Sunderland and Birmingham. Sunderland 2, Birmingham 1. Uh, you might think that's a bit of a strange game to pick out of the championship, but uh, Sunderland, it takes them to ninth position on the table and 61 points. They are only two points from the playoffs. Um, we know how big Sunderland is. Those people who've got Netflix and have enjoyed the Sunderland Till I Die uh, Netflix uh, docos um, will have a soft spot for them, um, and they've um, you know they were a goal down. Um, they got uh, two goals to get in front, and then had a play sent off and hung on for the last fifteen minutes uh, with ten players. So Sunderland at home at the Stadium of Light, which at this time of the year is not a very light place. It's a little bit dark still. Um, having said all of that, well done to Sunderland. A good game of the week keeps them in the hunt for playoffs and we know Derek don't we at that uh, north east uh, part of England they love their football and Sunderland uh, up in Newcastle is uh, an absolute iconic club which we would like to probably have back in the Premier League so we can have a Sunderland Newcastle derby to watch certainly like to see them in the mix of course Middlesbrough the other big powerhouse team in the northeast uh fourth under Michael Carrick and although they've had a little bit of a wobble recently they're still looking good for the playoff it's, it's interesting with Sunderland I listen to the BBC talk back radio quite a lot that goes on after the two main sets of fixtures on Saturday and Sunday and they have uh, Sunderland fans that go on there that say that they don't want to get promoted to the Premier League because a they're having far too much fun in, in the championship and b they're just kind of scared that they're just kind of overperforming a bit and that they're not ready uh, for, for, for Premier League football yet. But, you know, I think you've got to take it if it presents itself. I'm sure that's the, not the way that the uh, the owners of Sunderland will be thinking about things. I'm sure they'd love to get up there. But undefeated in the last five games and two wins on the bounce, so I think they're looking like they could make a, a last-ditch uh, run and they're only two points behind Blackburn Rovers in sixth, who themselves are not in great form either, only one win in five. So Sunderland could be looking at that, that potentially sneaking in. And how many times have we seen it in the past where the team that sneaks into the playoffs goes all the way? Yeah, stranger things have happened, Edge. Let's turn our thoughts to team of the week. Um, we've got a real uh, hodgepodge of teams um, to <laughs> throw at the board this week. I've gone for Macclesfield FC. Um, I don't think our listeners will know much about Macclesfield FC. I'm happy to tell them a little bit about them. So there was a club called Macclesfield Town FC, um, and Macclesfield Town were actually dissolved, having been um, founded in 1874, one of uh, one of the original clubs founded in the in the start of football in in England. Um, but they were um, they they were. Uh, Folded um, a couple of years ago, terrible um, financial problems, and Macclesfield, a one-team club, uh, one 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 club uh, town, sorry, lost uh, lost lost their only club. But this is another one of these great Phoenix uh, stories. They've dropped the town, so they're called Macclesfield FC, but they still call themselves the Silk Men. And in the last week, they have been given the trophy for winning the Northwest Counties Premier. 
division trophy, which I'm sure everyone on the show knows about that one. This is the 10th level of league football. So they would need five more promotions to get into into League Two. And for the time being, they will, um, it will, will be in the Northern Premier Division League. They've won 10 games on the bounce. Well, they lifted the trophy rob after beating AFC Liverpool uh, 4-2. Uh, I don't know what the... Uh, the connection is there, but their director of football is Robbie Savage. Uh, I think a character and a personality that that um, that, we, that we all love, and um, they're they're getting record attendances for that division. So well done to Rob Smethurst, who's the man who bought the club. They've got their first piece of uh, silverware, and as I said, 2020 they were busts, and now they're uh, moving in the right direction again. Well done, Macclesfield FC. Yeah, I'm just going to um, uh, keep the A-League women's theme going. My, my, my team of the week is Melbourne Victory's women's team. Um, we've talked about it a lot in the show already. They went a goal down. They had injuries. Um, obviously, Elise Kellard-Knight out of the team. Um, she was commentating Chidiak, for uh, Paramount+. Plus. She was. Alex Chidiak, mm. who they had hoped would be there for the entire season, had to go back to America to the uh, uh, national... Women's uh, Soccer League over there. Um, and um, Catherine Zimmerman and... Um, her dad arrived out, surprised Leah, her. Yes, uh, Leah Previtelli. Uh, they were both carrying injuries into the game. So despite all of that, um, they went a goal down um, and then they surrendered a two-goal lead, um, hung on and then got the job done in the penalty shootout um, thanks to some good uh, pre-planning. So... My team of the week, Melbourne Victory Women, congratulations to them. Their three-peat is still alive. Well, we've both given them a huge rep in uh, in a couple of different segments in this show. My my team of the week, I'm going to stick with the women, of course. So I know we uh, it was a week ago now, and when we recorded last week, it was on the eve of this game. But uh, you know, this time last week, we were ruining the Matildas losing to Scotland, effectively the B side. A lot of the players uh, uh, who we ultimately saw were against England, um, led by most notably Sam Kerr, were missing from that game. But Albeit it, it, it was disappointing because every international side, as the as the clock ticks towards the World Cup, is looking for that Plan B and what it looks like if uh, one of their superstars goes down. But uh, uh, we we certainly saw um, the the flip side of, of what it looked like um, with um, the Matildas taking on the uh, with the Euro winning England. Uh, now they went into that game uh, England on a thirty game unbeaten streak under Serena. So Serena Wiegmann had not lost a match um, going into to this game. So a week later, um, we're talking about them, the Matildas, that is, ending the streak and becoming not only the first team to beat the Lioness under, Lionesses under Wiegmann, but also um, the, um, the first to put two goals past uh, England, uh, England's women's side. So England's last defeat, by way of context, was against Canada in April 2021 under the then interim boss, Hegeri Risa. Um, and uh, and they, they were pushed to the wire against uh, uh, Brazil in the Finalissima on the Thursday prior. They needed a penalty shootout to win that trophy. But it was um, it was really all about Sam Kerr and uh, uh, and she came back to the Australian starting 11 off the back of sitting on the bench in that Scotland match. Uh, um, and she just tormented England's defence from start to finish. Um, she pounced on a, a was a horrible mistake by England's captain Leah Will, Williamson. She tried to to head a ball back to the keeper, and uh, and it just it had no power on it. Sam just swooped in and. 
and took it off uh, off her boot. Um, now England were missing their number one defender, Millie Bright, but the Matildas, they were also missing over 500 caps of experience. So Caitlin Ford, Steph Catley, Alana Kennedy, Emily Van Egmont, Holly McNair, all out. So, you know, th- this is a, a massive result for the Matildas and, and a huge confidence booster. And if uh, if anyone uh, wasn't taking notice of them, there's a genuine chance to uh, to go all the way, then, um, then they will now. But uh, again, the key um, in my analysis at the very least is we just have to win the group. Well, there's, there's no way of avoiding it. England won't be um, the same England that we beat. They'll have been given the wake-up call that they needed. So if we finish second in the group and England finish top of theirs, we play them in the round of 16, which is not good. Certainly is, Rob. That's a very good um, Team of the Week nomination. My moment of the week, I'm going to jump in before, Derek, uh, and then you can finish off the moments of the week. My moment of the week, I've actually got two little ones. Um, Courtney Vine and Angie Beard. Angie Beard uh, in the A-League Women's uh, Major Semi-Final stood in a hole um, at Allianz Stadium. Uh, with no yeah, you around. mentioned that in the main show. I mean, I, I, that, that was really disappointing, the fact that, um, that, that that match was played on such a goat track. Well, I'm going to bring that up in the hot topic, Rob. Um, you can just uh, – I'm going to hold my fire, keep my powder dry. But Angie Beard, she looked really nasty. Um, she took quite a while to – she had to be substituted. And as she was walking uh, past the Sydney FC bench, Courtney Vine, who'd been substituted a few minutes earlier, uh, quickly jumped out, put her arm around Angie Beard and um, – and they had a good conversation about each other's uh, legs <laughs> uh, and injuries. It just proves that uh, that bonds formed at uh, junior level of uh, the Matildas program, and they're both Queenslanders originally. Um, it just proves that um, even though you're on the other side, uh, goodwill and love, um, it goes a long way, and it was just a good moment. The other um, moment of the week I have is, again, Ante Juric, the Sydney FC coach, who after the game said he hoped they would lose because he didn't want to have a bye and would prefer to play a match this weekend. If that's taking a positive out of a negative, Rob, I don't know what is. It's, it mightn't be taking a positive out of a negative. It's certainly taking the piss. I mean, if he um, suggests he actually was happy that they would lose so that they didn't have a bye, Ante, mate, you are the ultimate game master, mate. So uh, I don't know what you're saying. Um, all right. Uh, moment of the week for you there, Derek. Yeah. <clears throat> moment of the week comes from the Premier League and... It was watching Diego Costa uh, playing for Wolverhampton Wanderers in their um, in uh, their match and vital win over Brentford. Um, it was his first goal. He scored his first goal in six years, and um, he was really quite castigated when he turned up because Wolves were desperate for a striker they'd hunted all over the place for a striker and then Diego Costa came in on a free transfer and um far be it from me to uh criticize a man for his physique um but he wasn't looking particularly trim when he uh uh started playing at Wolves and he was looking pretty leggy and not particularly sharp and looked a million miles away from the player that we saw destroying Premier League uh, defenses playing for Chelsea but he was absolutely sensational in this game. Like, not only did he get the goal, he was absolutely all over the pitch. He could have scored another goal. He was setting up chances for teammates. Um, and I just wanted to sort of pay a kind of respect to the moment is the goal that he scored. But just the general point, never give up. Because mm-hmm. I'd certainly given up on Diego Costa. And I felt like he was just a, a huge burden on the uh, 
the Wolves um, the Wolves salary list. But as it turns out, uh, like Bournemouth, you know, this is a significant step. This win over Brentford um, uh, towards their Premier League survival after what hasn't been a great season for Wolves and. You know, Diego Costa would definitely make it into my shit house eleven every every time. But it was quite nice to see uh, him doing his thing, uh, having one sort of final spin. I think he is thirty four, thirty five now, but uh, good on him. He played it very well, Diego Costa. Yeah, well done. I've got a soft spot for Wolves after visiting the Molyneux um, back in twenty eighteen. Every time. Uh... Maybe just the highlights package that I'm watching. Um, I love to uh, listen to that Jeff Beck uh, song that they play at the start of the game. That they also play at Aston Villa. Um, but uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, check it out on on YouTube. Anyway, my moment of the week. Now, this is one of those sort of crazy scenarios that happens in football. It could be a game in any competition anywhere in the world. It goes viral because of just how madcap it was when it actually happened. This actually happened in the A-League on the weekend, and it was Wellington Phoenix, uh, David Ball. So within the space of 60 seconds, he hit the post three times um, and it ultimately came back to bite um, Phoenix as they're, they're sort of trying to anchor themselves into that top six, so which they'll probably finish uh, in the bottom uh, reaches of, uh, to be fair. It was two all in the end. Um, they come back from a, an early 2-1 uh, deficit to, to lead um, over the Brisbane Royal early in the second half thanks to a, a, a lovely finish by the Brazilian Jan Sasa. But the wild minute happened in the 70th minute when Ball found himself in space inside the box. He fired an effort that ricocheted off one post before it bounced onto the other. Now, we see that a lot, uh, but uh, uh, but the raw keeper, Jordan Holmes, he sort of clawed the ball back over the line and then Taras Gamulka struggled to get the ball out for a corner uh, and then his clearing effort hit the post again. And then after play restarted, uh, the ball uh, found a, another opening inside the area and just smashed it against the post again. And he's just looking at it thinking, what the is going on? Insert the word. You know what I was going to say. It was a very funny moment. So check it out on YouTube. Uh, 60 seconds of uh, madness uh, at um, the Wellington Phoenix Brisbane Raw match. Uh, all right, gentlemen. But so, look. Why don't we, Edge? Why don't you give us your hot topic? Because I'm going to join in with Derek on his before, as we wrap it up. Because I think um, you know that it's quite a serious topic that Derek's uh, going to bring up about gambling sponsorship. So, so what have you got for us, mate? Well, my hot topic, Rob, is the state of the pitches at Amy Park and Allion Stadium, and it's just a bit of a window into the future if we have a ever have a, a winter A League competition or a winter national second division where we're having to play matches in stadiums where Rugby Union and Rugby League also play. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Melbourne Victory played Perth at Amy Park on an absolute bog, uh, mm. uh, only 12 hours after a Rugby Union match. And then we saw a major semi-final, Sydney FC playing Western United. Sydney FC, who are mm. a ball-playing, passing team, high-octane uh, uh, con- high uh, uh, game plan, were playing on a cow paddock at Allianz. We heard uh, in the main show, Mark Torcaso, the Western United coach, just aghast at the state of the pitch. And it's really not good enough. Um, and mm. it's a bit of a window into one of the real policy failures around the A-League is that the teams don't have their own stadiums. And in the mix of A-League licences, uh, investment, 
Um, only Western United, who are building their new stadium, we haven't even seen uh, them playing it yet. It'll be probably a, another couple of years until we do. But um, it's just a major deficiency in our elite football infrastructure that uh, when you share stadiums, unfortunately, football, i.e. soccer, is a... Uh, it, we come off worse because we rely on the pitches to be good mm. standard and rugby union in particular. Yeah, rugby it's rugby. It's I mean, Derek, you're you're a big fan of rugby union as as you are of uh, of football. Um, it's the it's the rugby code that really does the big damage. I mean, rugby league they they have um, what passes for a scrum, um, which is a stoppage in the game where there's no uh, pressure put on the scrum. The players effectively just stand there. The ball's fed into the scrum, and they don't put any um, any um, traction into the turf. But a rugby union scrum, Derek. I mean, it, it is a it is a contest, a physical contest of uh, of what sixteen it's like men plowing the earth, isn't it? Yeah, really? it is. Uh, but I just I just want to express my absolute frustration that we football, i.e., soccer, we always are disadvantaged because of this. And for those Sydney FC and Western United players who are playing in the biggest game of their lives, to have to front up and play on a sandpit mm. in a new stadium, a World a Cup disgrace. stadium, fair income. Yeah, no. You look. That's Edge. Uh, if you're listening to his microphone, just go. He's 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 just he's almost walked out of the of his home studio. Um, just thrown his microphone down in in outrage. That's a great way to finish uh, an outraged uh, sort of statement on on uh, on that um, Edge. Well done. As he comes back to the mic, Derek. Okay, so let's let's swing across. I know you agree. I mean, you were nodding your head about the the rugby, but we could go on forever about that topic. Uh, we're all in furious agreement. So, so you brought to the table the topic of of gambling sponsorship, which, um, in in my view, is just getting worse and worse. Yeah, I mean, you, we could dedicate uh, whole podcasts to this and other podcasts that we we know and love. Certainly have. I only wanted to flag a development from the UK, which is that at the very least, um, the Premier League clubs have agreed to withdraw gambling sponsorship from the front of match day shirts by the 2025-26 season. Um, that doesn't mean that the gambling uh, won't happen on the shirts. They can still appear on the sleeves uh, and also uh, on the... Uh, the advertising around the grounds, but the the reason that there's been a you know it's 2025 is to give clubs that have, um you know are entrenched and have existing sponsorship deals uh, gives them the opportunity to 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 go and uh, renegotiate uh, uh, or get new get new deals. So it doesn't mean anywhere near mean the end of gambling and football in a UK context, but. Uh, eight of the 20 Premier League clubs have a gambling sponsorship, mm. per se, no. And when, when you drop down into the Football League, it gets uh, bigger and bigger. And it's not just, you know, um, sports bets or uh, Ladbrokes and, or, or any of the others. We're, we're talking about quite, um, quite obscure companies, sometimes out of Asia, um, that are a bit opaque. And people are not quite sure um, where they come from, but every every Premier League team, all twenty, has a gambling partner. You know, so I can't, as an Arsenal fan, um, you know, I can't, you know, I can't stand there and, and point at um, West Ham uh, or any of the others because we do have one. We just don't have it on the front of the shirts, but we're still part of uh, 
part of a bigger a bigger picture and i suppose where you, the where, where this conversation is going is i just picked out two things or two bits of information as part of my research on the one hand um christian perslow who's a um Aston villa he's the chief executive there doing great work uh they've just signed a deal with an asian betting firm bk8 and he came out and said, look, the commercial reality is, is that if you're not in the top six, these kinds of sponsors offer twice as much financially uh, as non-gambling companies. So from Van Aston Villa's point of view, who have just as much right to grow and compete as anyone else and source money wherever they can, <laughs> wherever, wherever it uh, may be, uh, they're saying that you know these kinds of deals are really important for them to stay competitive. Um, and then the English Football League, which is sponsored by Skybet, and Sky is the main broadcaster in the in the UK for, for football, uh, um, said that any outright gambling sponsorship would cost the 72 members of the English Football League 40 million a year. Uh, and that, you know, I spoke about Macclesfield earlier in this show, what happened to them, and that was, you know, bad management as a opposed to anything else and Derby and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, the, these clubs are struggling. These mm. clubs need to get money in the bank and uh, they're getting thrown millions of dollars by these uh, these betting companies and it's a viable option for them. But just before I stop this, uh, I suppose, this lecture, um, on the other hand of the coin, the NHS has flagged that 55,000 children in the UK have a problematic relationship with gambling, fifty-five thousand children have a gambling problem in the UK, and it's probably not all to do with football, uh, and it's to do with the technology and how easy it is to set up an account and, and have a punt. It's not like the days where, you know, you had to go into some smoke-filled, sterile betting shop to go and put a punt on. It can all be done from the from the living room on your smartphone. But that is the uh, that is the reality, and. Uh, eight Premier League clubs have that sponsorship. There's zero in Bundesliga, La Liga, and France. Although you know they're, they're you know they're not as you know as rich as the Premier League and other leagues, but they they get on with it too. So uh, gambling, this is a you know it feels like a positive step. You know the front the front of the jersey is very prominent. It's in every photograph, in every newspaper, uh, every Facebook post, every tweet. It's going to be there. But at the same time, it's got a long way to go. But um, I am sympathetic, uh, you know, that uh, whether it's Villa, whether whether it's the EFL. Um, I guess, Derek, in in, in yeah. you know, my, my sort of other world uh, in which I occupy um, uh, in advertising and marketing, there's a way to present the message. You know, there, there's a way to to market the message, and then there uh, and degrees of responsibility. So I, I like a punt as much as anybody, um, uh, but. Mm. When I was a kid, just like Edge, you know, punting was all about horses and dogs and um, and and you know the traditional type of gambling arena. Now, you know, the kids growing up in these generations, the trots, Rob. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The red hots, um, you know, so uh, yeah, uh, the dish lickers, exactly. Um, so yeah, yeah, no. So look, uh, it's it's a long, long story. But look, I, I guess you know, as much as as uh, um, you know, I, I wish um, you know, it uh, there there was a world where there was no need for uh, for gambling advertising. As you say, the fact of the matter is that. That it does exist. All right, boys, look, we'll wrap it up there. We might return to that topic on another day. Um, Derek, thank you, mate. Have a good week. Yeah, thanks, gents. Michael? 
Thank you very much, Rob. And for those people who don't understand the international football calendar, the Brazilian uh, Serie A has started last weekend. They've played their first game. Where that fits, where it starts and stops in the international calendar, <laughs> even I have no idea. But if you're yeah. a fan of uh, Botafogo or Fluminense or Flamingo or Sao Paulo um, or the great Gremio down in uh, Porto Alegre, um, yeah, you can check that out uh, online. It's uh, always a bit of fun. The world of football never stops. Please make sure you subscribe to our show. And, and we're getting some lovely reviews. Uh, we've asked for them for a, a little while now, and, and, and uh, we're grateful to and thank you to everybody who's taken the time to give us a, a five-star review and a comment. Um, you know, we're one of uh, a lot of podcasts that are out there around football, but we just happen to be uh, an Australian voice uh, trying to talk about the domestic game, uh, issues within it, as well as the international stories of the game and things that just catch our eyes. So uh, we hope we're giving you a bit of entertainment. We really do appreciate the reviews that you give us uh, please as I say subscribe to box to box stoppage time and offside wherever you get your podcast tweet us at box to box NTS and follow us on Twitter and make sure you like us on Facebook as well and join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game <laughs>